question. What the f is up with the porn industry? Seriously, what what is up here? It is a question that I have asked at multiple occasions over the last year, but the answer seems to evolve with every day, month, year. And so today we are revisiting it with a founder who has a mission to make porn hot and ethical again. Presenting Caroline Spiegel, the founder and CEO of Quinn, the audio erotica app. So Caroline, you are the founder of an audio erotica company, which I think immediately qualifies you as the coolest person uh, in this interview. But I would love to hear more about who you are in your own words. So if you don't mind, could you introduce yourself? Tell me a little bit more about who you are and what you do. I'm Caroline. I am 25, which actually feels very uh, ancient now. Um, I've been running my startup Quinn for three years now. What else? I live in LA. I run Quinn. <laughs> That's literally my life. It's cool to hear the the story, I think, especially of um, somebody who started something, committed to something early on in your like career having years. Uh, and I would love to hear why that was. I think, you know, you said you've been running this for three years, started certainly um, at a young age for by most measures of when people figure out what their career, what their passion is going to be. So I would love to hear a little bit more about like the origin story. I was a senior at Stanford and I was studying computer science, but the track I was on is called systems. And it's about like compilers and networking and operating systems. And it was, I actually loved it, but it was almost entirely a male uh, <laughs> track. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the work, you know, it was really dense. And I guess one of the main things I felt was like, I didn't see how this was going to apply to my day-to-day -day life, right? And for a systems engineer, like you can go to maybe a crypto startup, maybe a like an infrastructure, web infrastructure company, but it's not like the most glamorous, most spectacular uh, thing. But what it did also teach me was like critical thinking. I had had to take time off of Stanford for an eating disorder I was struggling with. I was very anorexic at the time. Going into my senior year, I was really excited. I had put a lot of time and effort into my recovery and mm -hmm. I was like, quote unquote, like back to normal weight and like feeling great. Um, and then in the fall of my senior year, I just realized like my libido, my interest in sex, my desire, my levels of like desire, um, all these things I had really taken for granted were toast, non-existent. And I was super disappointed mm -hmm. and frustrated. And it was like one of those things where like, I didn't really know like how to solve the problem. I basically just kind of started like watching porn um, or like reading, like just trying to figure out what would turn me on again. I didn't, I couldn't even have like a crush on someone. Like I just felt sort of like that part of my brain had been turned off. When I was looking at porn, I had this sort of feeling of like, this is so wrong. Like this is so not meeting my needs. Not only does it not like work, it doesn't turn me on, but it also made me feel worse. I made me feel like I wasn't you know, like meeting the expectations of sex. And it kind of started me on this journey to finding audio erotica. I found it on like Tumblr, which everyone like jokes about it now that like Tumblr was like Quinn's like, you know, grandma or cool whatever. Aunt or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's so true. Like the content, the porn on Tumblr was elite. And then also on Reddit, there's a massive subreddit for amateur audio erotica, that content worked. Not only mm -hmm. was I getting turned on and orgasming, but 
I felt like, you know, this is like really reflective of my sexuality. And the reason why is like one, like the listener is part of the story. It's very immersive. It's also like you can invest emotionally. You can listen to an audio that's like just talking about how great you are and how amazing your body is. Um, and I think it just feels more realistic. Like it was more the sex that I was interested in having. It was just amazing. But I felt like there wasn't a mainstream way to consume it. Um, or, or I couldn't really see a path to this being something that like all women used or all people used. Throughout this journey, I've I realized a much larger, like bigger mission for Quinn that's like outside of my personal needs, but it definitely started from this place of like sexual frustration and sexual discovery into like maybe a broader mission to kind of disrupt how porn works now. Yeah, and I, I wanna get into that because I think it's obviously a huge part of the story moving forward, but I think that we also should take a second to reflect on the fact that businesses should be started to solve problems. I talk with my co-founder Josh about this all the time, that it feels like because for the last decade, money has been so easy to come by that people just start a business because it only needs to last for nine months before it gets bought or IPOs or SPACs, you know, and, and we have gotten away from the idea that businesses should exist to solve problems. And the problem was there for you. You experienced it and you could build having had that experience yourself. So with that, let's let's talk about this big picture. Let's kind of do the zoom out. Um, tell me a little bit more about why Quinn exists kind of in, um, you know, a, a juxtaposition to the more traditional erotica or pornography industries. Uh, I've seen on your website that you want Quinn to be a platform for hot, ethical, erotic audio. And I want to focus on the ethical part, especially as we explore what what some of the shortcomings of the traditional industry have been. Um, just tell me a little bit more about the, the space that you came into when you started Quinn, how you've seen that space evolve, and especially what Quinn is is doing differently from some of the incumbents in this industry um, that you feel proud of? One just interesting meta like thing that I recently made a video about that I feel like resonated with people and kind of speaks to my founding, founding journey. Young women or young people feel at once shamed for having sex, but also like it's the cool right thing to do. There's value placed on sexual acts. So whether it's abstaining or having the highest body count, right? Like your value is changing. And I think like it's, it's important to live in a world where your value doesn't change, like what kind of sex you're having. I think it's a very painful reality because like sex is supposed to be, you know, ideally pleasurable and uh, fulfilling yeah. or, you know, at, at, the, at the minimum interesting, uh, fun. And I think like creating these really intense pressures and expectations for, for people, particularly young people, is really unfortunate. Yeah. And this is another topic we can get into, which is like the idea of consent is actually a very hairy one. In a lot of ways, our law doesn't take into consideration consent. So like, for example, if you say to me, Caroline, murder me now and I murder you or like, please murder me. I will still go to prison or I will still, you know, get punished for doing that. So we have to like rethink, like, what does it mean to have informed consent? Like, what does it mean to grow up as a person in our society? And how does that impact our, you know, the things we are, I guess, consenting to? And does saying yes always mean consent? Like, it's a really complicated thing. And I'm not even sure if that's the right question to ask. Like, did the person say yes? Or maybe more like, what are the power structures here? What's the dynamic here? How is How are we expecting people to navigate really difficult situations 
sexually, but <laughs> that was not even your question. No, but I, I think it, I think it kind of speaks to the, the question, to be totally honest. And I recently read the book Rethinking Sex, A Provocation by Christine Emba. She's a uh, columnist for The Washington Post. She talks a lot about this, this idea that like, the the sex positivity cultural shift that we've had over the last couple of decades um, as a result of many other cultural shifts has been great yeah. for a lot of reasons, but it's also created this undue pressure on, on women, especially, I think, to participate in some sort of like pro-sex culture constantly. Yeah. Um, and the idea of just consent existing does not make for a better sexual ecosystem or environment, right? Like just because you said yes, and just because you offered what we now call like an enthusiastic consent, that doesn't mean that the sex is good or that the sex is good for you or good for women or good for men. Um, and I think that there's, there's an interesting kind of parallel there with, you know, how we try to engineer a better mm -hmm. sexual environment for everybody with also the idea of like, and maybe I'm, I'm reaching here, but the idea of kind of like ownership in pornography as well. You know, we, we say, yeah, sure, the actors or the performers who show up to set, usually, I think in, in many cases, and certainly not in all of them, um, in professional settings, they have consented to being there. Have they consented to that video being viewed a bajillion times and them not getting any royalties? Like, maybe not, just because consent existed in one one very specific way doesn't mean that we can apply it like a, a blanket to everything. Um, and I think that that maybe kind of gets at like the larger issues here is that ethics have not always been part of, of this industry from what I understand. Andrea Dworkin has this great thing about how, and I don't agree with her on everything, but obviously, but she has one idea about how like people call porn fantasy, but as soon as you have real people in a system creating these fantasies on a regular basis, they're no longer fantasies, right? They're reality. They're actually doing those acts. You know, th there's no prosthetics involved. There's no costuming. There's no intimacy coordinators. They're really just doing the things that we like fantasize about, I guess. I think like that's a really important thing to think about by consuming this content, by this content existing, like these are no longer like fun ideas. These are like real people regularly for a certain amount of money doing them, which changes things. And I think like one thing, great thing about Quinn is that no one's really have actually having sex. And in that sense, it stays in your imagination. It stays in your fantasy, right? Where like, okay, fine. Like you can have, you can literally have whatever you can have. You can be in a, in a gothic castle with someone. You can also be, you know, in a really rough, extreme BDSM scenario with no one actually having to do that. There are some, you know, arguments that pain is always inherently a bad thing, morally. Um, again, going back to that example of like, you can't ask someone to eat you alive. Like you can't consent to that. Um, I guess like, the opposite end of that argument would be a football team where everyone is consenting to some level of violence and pain and we have no problem with it. And porn is obviously somewhere in there too, where it's like a lot of these scenes are extremely painful and violent. And is it possible to consent to that? That's like a very controversial thing to say, especially like in the BDSM community, listen, I, no one's going to, no police man is going to come knocking on your door if you're using handcuffs in the bedroom. Um, 
But if you escalate up that sliding scale, you know, it's not just handcuffs in the bedroom. Now it's my boyfriend, you know, hitting me in a public place. Like that's actually illegal. So we have to like, no matter the consent structure around it, no matter. So it's kind of like an interesting thought experiment to be like, you know, why do we have laws against harming other people? You know, why is that relevant here with, with porn? Like, I think a lot of people say that once it's in the context of consent, pain, anything is fine. And I guess I would just ask people to question, well, what do you mean by consent? And like, what kind of, you know, actions are we really like comfortable with as a society? Totally. And I think that this, this highlights an incredibly necessary <laughs> level of um, nuance to operate in the erotica or pornography industries. You know, like we are pro nuance here at Thinking is Cool and context. And I think that like getting into these granular parts of the conversation is really important. But I think like from a business perspective, God, it's got to be really, really tough to, to navigate all of this. Perhaps it becomes slightly less difficult when, to your point, everything is is still existing in the fantasy realm because it is audio, um, because there is not actual sex happening. But tell me about what it's like to run a business that has to think about these seriously nuanced conversations every single day. Like, what what is that like? What are the biggest challenges? Well, it's really it's really hard. Um, I think like one thing is we have like complete editorial control of all the content that goes on Quinn's. We're not saying to create like they have a lot of freedom to create within boundaries, but quite often we'll listen to something and be like, you know what? No, like this feels um, not right. And I think what's great about running a private company or running a private platform is that you can make those decisions. Creators hopefully understand like that we have the ultimate editorial control um, of the content. And so they don't feel slighted, you know, when we say like, hey, you know what, we need to edit out this section or, you know what, don't use this word. Um, and I don't, I try not to get like caught up in the ethical, like m big questions when we're doing that, because it's more just like a customer experience thing, like I don't, or a brand thing. I don't want Quinn to be associated with certain types of content. And I'm not saying it shouldn't exist. I'm not really making an ethical judgment on it. I'm just saying like, not right. for us, thanks. <laughs> um, which, like, I, once I realized I could do that and not have to, like you say, like write a dissertation on why um, it's not right, like it was, it things became a lot easier because yeah. I was just like, no, it's like, yeah, it's just like, no, it's just not, you know, what our brand is selecting right now. And then I think also, yeah, like you're saying, it's all kind of a lot of it is just fantasy and imagination and storytelling that we do. So yeah. that part's really fun. And that's just like a creative exercise and working with like all these amazing creators and actors. One thing I will say about like <laughs> solving problems in startups, it's really shocking how important execution is. It just does not matter how great the idea is. If you're, if you know, audio stopped playing or this one button doesn't click right or one thing is wrong. So it's, it's definitely also been an exercise in perfectionism and like perfecting details and noticing things. I think that, you know, obviously being a detail-oriented founder is always going to be a, a way to kind of carve yourself a moat when you're competing with, with other businesses in your industry. But it makes me wonder, with the tech focus that you have at Quinn that is obviously important, with a great content focus that you have at Quinn, with inclusivity that you have at Quinn, is the goal for the business right now to 
eventually get to a point where nobody goes to Pornhub anymore. Like I know that these are enormous. Like we have no idea how big these companies are. Whatever you think it is, like 10 exit, that's the size of of these companies, at least in terms of traffic. Do you want to make those companies obsolete or do you want to occupy an entirely different space altogether? I do want to make those companies obsolete. I think at the end of the day, like obviously won't happen for 10 years or whatever. I think once I realized that like audio content could actually be hotter and better than visual content. That was just a big realization and and being like, we can replace, you know, the existing um, system. And I think unless you try audio erotica, it's hard to imagine that you're like, oh, is it just like, you know, an audio book or ASMR, but it just kind of feels like you're having sex with someone that like is obsessed with you. (laughs) We need to really work on our content, really like improve our tech and everything. But that's definitely the long-term goal. Quinn is a paid service. It's $4.99 a month. So already we just, you know, have a much more viable econo- like financial model than Pornhub, which relies on this like ad system. That's crazy. <laughs> and look, not to like totally out myself, but like if you've ever gone to Pornhub, the ads, the banner ads, the things on the side, like I don't know. It's distracting, okay? Like I would rather engage in a premium product. I think that that is where the future is going. Like we have gotten a lot more used to paying for good content over the last decade. I think as media writ large has evolved. Um, but the with the, the shift to a paid product, it's not necessarily what people expect when we think about porn. Um, you know, free porn is just so readily available on the internet. How have you overcome that to to get people to understand that this system has to exist to, um, you know, incentivize people fairly across the board, not just the consumer, but also the people creating it and the company hosting this as a, a platform. Like, how did you get people to that point where they were ready to pay four ninety nine to access Quinn? It feels like it ties into the detail oriented and your other point about like elevating tech or, or or having great premium subscriptions to content that's worth it. One thing that really sucks about being in the sex space is you don't get a lot of access to high quality products and services. Like even, you know, Cloudflare could turn you down or or, you know, some of those like Shopify sites, like they won't sell sex products or CBD or whatever. So that can be a limiting factor for like premium visual content. Even OnlyFans is pretty jank, you know, compared to Hulu, right? So, or Twitter or whatever. So you you just have limited access to the tools you need to build that premium product. And the great thing about doing audio only is that we've managed to skirt around a lot of those rules. I'm interested to hear more about what you typically can't like this idea is is not new right like I've interviewed founders in the CBD space and in porn and and it's it's always like well we can't get financing the way that a typical business would we can't get on Shopify the way that a typical business would Um, and it seems like really really um, like puritanical that 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 is still the reality today I'm curious what you think that looks like moving forward knowing that the sexual wellness space is an industry that's expanding well it's like a it's like a wolf in sheep clothing like type problem because if you look at goop like they have all these fancy amazing by the way amazing products you know for everything and then oh by the way there there's butt plugs and handcuffs and erotica stuff and so it's like 
But if you were to come to one of these gatekeepers like Stripe or a server yeah. or a, ser- a service provider of any type of technical help or whatever with, you know, just a, a, a shitty looking website with like butt plugs and, and scary things like that's not going to fly. So a lot of it is about the unfortunately, like kind of the dressing you put over your product. There are some things that are, will always like just get turned down. Like I'm sure even really beautiful elevated sex toys or really beautiful elevated CBD products get, you know, uh, get denied. But I think there is something to be said for like, just (laughs) like swallowing your pride and being like, wow, like these people want to feel comfortable. They have all this shame and and difficulty and they have community guidelines and all this stuff. They're trying to do the right thing. So like, how can I make this as palatable as humanly possible, which shouldn't be an exercise you have to do, but it turns out to to kind of get you where you want ultimately. You can buy a vibrator on Revolve. It's like a personal massager, right? Or like some of, sometimes they don't even like posture at all. They're just like, this is a vibrator. You can get it in two days, Um, but it's like a fancy website. And they do these like influencer trips. You know, I'm like wondering in my head on the Revolve influencer trips, are they just like sneak in a vibrator in the swag bag? Who knows? I'll have to do an investigative piece on it. Uh, but you know, I, I think this this is an interesting point of of also like dealing with the reality that that exists today while also trying to think for the longer term. The reality is today, whether we like it or not, there still is a lot of shame around masturbation for all kinds of people. So if you can make that that experience, a little lighter, a little easier, a little easier to to swallow and consume and and feel not so like, Ugh, I can't believe that I just did that. You know, like that, that shame shouldn't exist in the first place. But if our option is to just let that shame perpetuate forever or to create something that tries to reduce that shame a little bit today, like I'm going to go for option B. You know, I think that that, that makes a lot of sense. But what do you, with that kind of in mind, like looking ahead, what the future might hold, shame or, or not shameful. Um, what do you think it looks like for Quinn and, and for the industry at large? I guess like what's your five or 10 year vision here? We talked about this once of the idea of like sex becoming more normalized, doesn't make it less sexy. Um, and I think actually this idea of the wolf in sheep's clothing, like the idea of Goop having sex products or Sephora or or making them kind of cute and and sleek and elevated is kind of a good way to keep the mystery or the like winkiness around sex. I kind of like the idea of the industry moving to this sort of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge type thing, because I think it does allow for, for a level of like allure um, and fun that sometimes can get like taken out when we make everything so overly explicit. And like we talked about like the problems with sex positivity. It's like these things aren't, nuanced they should be mysterious and interesting and like compelling i think like even if we look to media like bridgerton euphoria um normal people these are all like pornographic basically shows um that have this dressing and so we see this with sex products we see this with tv shows um even if you think about social media like twitter has so much insanely graphic porn and like search any term on on Twitter, just like to like do a search. Like even if you search like venture capital, like if you scroll enough, you'll see porn. But but no one knows Twitter as a porn platform because they have this branding of like the public square and like people chatting and saying things and 
being, you know, intelligent and sophisticated or whatever Twitter's reputation is. And so I, I guess that's definitely just a current trend I'm seeing, which is like, we, we have moved sex, like definitely more into the mainstream, but we're just not calling it sex. And maybe that's kind of the trick of it all. Like stop, you know, as a, as a sex brand, maybe we should stop saying sex and we should stop saying porn and just be those things, but not say them. That's where we are now. I hope we don't get to a place where it's all just so explicit and, and, and like sex this, sex that, porn this, porn that, that it's not fun anymore and not mm-hmm. mysterious anymore. Um, but I think there's probably a happy medium where we can talk about it without shame. Um, and it still is fun. I'm, I'm hopeful that that, that future does exist. Um, but I also, I, I'm glad you bring up the idea of uh, like the wink, wink kind of, it's, you know, everything's about sex except sex, but we're not going to say it here. Um, because that does introduce this like intellectual element right. that, I don't know, to me is much more of a turn on than just saying like, Blondie gets pounded from behind, you know, like that's, that's not sexy to me. What's sexy to me is like, having to think a little bit or like having to imagine something a little bit more. Um, and it's, it feels like so revolutionary for me to talk. I'm like my, in the video, my chest is getting red talking about this because like, it feels I, for the first time in my career can talk about these things. And like this last year of my life doing so much about porn and about erotica and like, because this is interesting and because I can feel more comfortable talking about myself as like a sexual being. Um, I think that hopefully this is just the beginning. Um, and I don't know, we'll, we'll have to check back in. Thank you so much, Kinsey. And you know, I'm the biggest fan of all of this. So thank you.